We are in the presence of God. And I just want to encourage you, just as, again, some good prophetic culture is, I know that there's some things that you have in your heart that you weren't able to share. I want to encourage you to send those in. We want to just keep stepping out and keep using the, and drawing upon what God's been saying. So please do that. So um, for the next few minutes, just coming up to lunch, um, I, I've asked John Putman to come and share for a few minutes. Um, and one of the things I love about John is that in addition to being a, uh, ha- having worked in, in the church in Stowe Market and raising up and being part of the church there, that he is a, a prophetic leader in the sense of also having a really rich prophetic gifting and, and helping to mentor and encourage as a father young men and, and, and those in, to, to be all that they are in Christ. And so I just asked John to come and just share a little bit about his journey, about being a prophetic leader as a continual encouragement to us that it's, it's a prophetic people that we're raising up, not a specialist gift in the body of Christ. So come on, John, let's give him a warm welcome. Thanks very much. I'm very conscious that there are many of you here who could uh, say what I'm about to say, but... Uh, Thank you for the privilege of doing this. As Henry VIII said to one of his wives, I shan't keep you long. But I'm sure you know the story very, very quickly, just to set the scene of the, um, of, of the two guys. They were neighbors. One bred prize rabbits. The other one had uh, uh, prize hunting dogs. The guy who has the rabbits goes on holiday. And he says to his neighbor, he said, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm away for a couple of days. The rabbits look after themselves. Neighbor doesn't think any more about it. The dogs, the hunting dogs are in the backyard. One of the hunting dogs uh, gets under the fence, comes back with a dead prize rabbit in its jaws. Man doesn't know what to do. So he says, I'll tell you, he says, I'll clean up this rabbit. So he cleans up this rabbit, gets the hairdryer on it. That night creeps back, puts the rabbit back in the cage. The, the, the rabbit breeder comes back from holiday and he just says, I've just got to come and see you. We've got a complete nutter in the area. He said, the night before I went on holiday, I buried one of my rabbits. <laughs> so if I dig up some rabbits you've already buried this morning, forgive me. You know, prophets have always been the deliverers of the church. We're all very familiar, are we not, from 1 Corinthians 14, the characteristic of prophecy, edification, exhortation, comfort. But it's the nature of the prophet to deliver us from one place to another. And I'm going to speak this morning just very briefly from the aspect of a pastor, prophet, and then prophet, pastor. It's interesting, there's a lovely verse in Hosea 12, 13. It says, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel from Egypt and by the prophet, he was kept. It's prophets that have the anointing under God to raise the bar. I love that psalm, Psalm 61. David says, you know, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And it's often the prophet that enables us to do this. Well, I've been involved um, with Ephesians 4 ministries for over 30 years now. And it is my contention that the prophetic ministry is needed in every aspect of church life. For without it, uh, we can lose some integrity and freedom. And without the prophet, the church can just become a spiritless organization. And after all, Jesus himself says in Matthew 23, I am sending you prophets. And as I read recently, someone commented, prophets are a risk the church must take. (laughs) Without prophetic thrust, you know, the teaching ministry can just become 
a cycle of timeless truth, but without a now relevance. The evangelist needs the prophet input to ensure that he does not just become stereotyped in methodology. And the pastoral ministry needs the prophetic input to ensure that the pastor does not become self-serving, insular, and creating an unbiblical cozy huddle. You know, in one of the Gilbert and Sullivan operas, um, the gondoliers, the, the Duke of Plazzatoro is described. And the Duke of Plazzatoro, he led his army from behind. He found it less exciting. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we, we just need that urging. We're all familiar with the, the Bayer, Temis, Bayer tapestry, aren't we? You know, Harold comforting his troops. I'm not even going to go there. Okay, let me just take you to a scene. The year is 1983. It's really quite incredible because when I came in this morning, I don't think Peter Watts, you haven't been to one of these before, have you, Peter? You've been once before. I hadn't seen you before. Peter Watt would identify with some of this. Peter Watt was not exactly part of the church that I was leading in 1983, but he was a good friend and came to some of our meetings. It's the first weekend away. We go to Carroty Wood. Remember that in Kent? Yeah, you all do. People are coming to us from all directions. I kid you not, we were not HTB. There were no old Etonians. In one home group, we had a redeemed murderer. We had two redeemed prostitutes, and we had the crazed getaway driver. And when I first met him, just to show you where I was at in 1983, he used to talk like this. He said, John, he said, a few things you need to know about Phyllis and I. He said, uh, he said, I used to carry a gun. He said, I was the getaway driver for the craze. And he said, Phyllis used to work the London hotels. Do you know, I began to talk to her about cleaning. <laughs> you know, I quickly grew up. You, rem you know, that those days in 1983, we sang lively tunes and uh, songs. And, you know, we had cartwheels in the worship. I was just reciting one of those old songs to my grandson. One people, one city, one nation is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great God. And, and Joseph turns to me and says, Papa, what the heck does that mean? They weren't all great songs, but some of them were really good. Okay, the speaker at this weekend is Rodney Kingston. Some of you know Rodney. He was pastoring in Worthing then, very good friend. And Rodney speaks on introduction to the gifts of the Spirit. It's a great time. Monday morning comes, I think, I'll write to Rodney, thank him for the weekend. And I just put this last sentence in the letter. I said, oh, Rod, if you could just give some prophetic appraisal of my performance, that would be helpful. Letter comes back, great weekend, John, love meeting the people. Muck and bullets is how he described the weekend. <laughs> and, and then he says, P.S., an appraisal. You are mother hen. If you had your way, John, you'd tuck the whole church into bed at night. You'd be there first thing in the morning with a tray of tea. God says to you that he has great purposes for your ministry, great intentions for you. But if you do not begin to learn very quickly that you have a responsibility to the people and not for the people, you are going to grind to a halt. That same year, one of our uh, single mums, uh, she's to be made homeless on the Friday. Uh, I spend Thursday, and how many of you can identify with this sort of stuff, trying to sort out this housing situation with the council. 4.30 in the afternoon, I get a phone call to say, yeah, if somebody in the church will guarantee three months' rent, 
this dear lady can have this uh, place. So I rush around there. It's five o'clock Thursday afternoon. She's being evicted tomorrow. Ring the doorbell. Doors uh, is opened by Becca. I said, Becca, is mum there? She says, oh, no, mum's been out all day and she's gone to cinema tonight. I think, wow, you know, what am I doing? I have a prophetic guy staying with me at the time. And uh, he says to me, John, I'm not even going to answer that. But he said, I'm going to tell you a story. And he tells me this story. He says, the, the, it, my home state is Oregon. He said, it's always raining in Oregon. Story goes of a pastor who's feeling totally beaten up. He just decides Sunday afternoon he'll go for a drive, and he's going up this mountain. And in front of him is, is a tractor with a trailer on the back, and there's a bullock on the back of the trailer. It starts to rain. And as they're weaving round this mountain road, the bullock has a bowel movement, which lands on the bonnet of the car. The pastor begins to turn on his windscreen wipers, and eventually there is mess everywhere. He pulls into a lay-by, puts his head on the steering wheel, and God says, you follow too closely, my son. These were my lessons I learned through the prophetic, you know, in 1983. I also learned at that time, and I just pass it on, you know, pastors, some of you are young pastors, you know, the value of having prophetic people stand alongside you. Another instruction I received then was this. Three things you need to do in life, John. Love your family. I'm taking the spiritual things as granted. Love your family. Have a hobby. And spend time with people that do you good. Remember the latter. Remember, it says in Daniel 7, that the enemy has been given the task of wearing and wearying the saints. Now, frankly, in my ministry, I've not met too many lions. But I do understand what it is to be sometimes just, you know, you just imagine a goose for a moment, plod, 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 plod. Sometimes in the ministry, you can be flattened by a flock of geese. And sometimes that's what's the precious like. Do things that keep yourself fresh. Out of the prophetic, out of these problems in 83, 84, what happened? Uh, a man comes to me and he says, you know, I've been listening to some of the stuff that's been going on. I know what Rod's been sharing with us as a church. And he says this, he says, we're getting people from all areas, John. And he says, what we're going to do, he says, if you agree and the elders agree, and the guy wasn't an elder, he said, I'm going to act as a conduit so that nobody can phone you without phoning me. Wow, was my wife pleased to hear that. <laughs> Let me just confess something else. You're going to think this is so dumb, but you can get into this. My wife and family were about number four or five on my batting list. My obsession was to see this church grow and be successful, but I needed a prophet to get the order and the balance right. How we go? Oh, we've got masses of time. Okay. <laughs> By the way, I think it's very important that we don't overclassify ourselves. In a room full of prophetic people like this, there will be some whose prime gift is prophetic, and others will be fulfilling different aspects of ministry, but with a prophetic edge. There's no exclusivity of title. But sometimes there are different emphases. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century divine, said this, find the direction the spirit is moving in your direction and follow. If I could paraphrase that a bit, I'd say in your ministry. Because I've detected ministry changes in my time in, in, in the ministry. Um, 
Prime gifting? Yeah, I was a pastor teacher. The prophetic came later. This stage in my life, I'd be bold enough to say, I think the gifting is prophetic pastoral. No, I said prophetic, not pathetic. Prophetic pastoral. And these things can happen. It's interesting, you, in the life of someone like Selwyn Hughes, who planted or um, set up CWR, Selwyn Hughes said that in four decades of ministry, he said, I was 10 years an evangelist, 10 years pastor, 10 years I had a healing ministry, 10 years counselor. But with all of these things, I enjoyed a prophetic edge. Some of you would be familiar, the older people here, with Bob Mumford. The American Bob Mumford had a, a healing ministry. And then one day he got up and he couldn't heal. Now, there were reasons for that, I'm sure. But I think we need to remember this. You know, in that passage in 2 Kings 6, you know that where, you know, Elisha and the school of prophets are, are building a place because the place has become too small. Incidentally, I don't want to get going on that passage, but holiness, that's the whole essence of that passage. Holiness brings an increase. Once Gehazi is dealt with, increase begins to happen. But you know what happens. One of the men is trying to build uh, with an axe and, and chop wood, and he says this, the axe head falls off. Alas, master, it was borrowed. Understand this. God owns you. God owns us. But you don't own the gift. It's at the bereft of the Father. It's a salutary reminder. It's by his grace. He owns us, but we don't own the gift. I remember in the, in the mid-90s being hugely impacted by a scene from David Putnam's film, Chariots of Fire. I carry pencil, paper, pens everywhere. I don't actually, but I try to, and my wife says, oh, not again. You know, we're going to see a film or a theater, and I've got to go out and make a note because I am trawling for the prophetic all the time. And if you're a pastor, I guess you never stop reading. You're always, you know, looking for fresh information. You are Steph and others. I mean, that's what goes on. But I remember one scene. It had nothing to do with Eric Liddell, but everything to do with Harold Abrahams. Harold Abrahams is being beaten time after time in races. And he does a very controversial thing at the time. He engages a coach, Sam Musabimi. And Sam uh, Musabimi is reluctant to help him, but secretly observes him run. And then he said this. He said, Mr. Abrahams, I can give you two yards. Do you know, that so impacted me. That's all I want to do. Whatever years I've got left, I just want to enable other young men young women, whatever, to get two yards, just to advance in God a little bit more. But in the mid-90s, when God was speaking to me like this, it was necessary that I get into fellowship with men who could give me two yards, and indeed women. I've got dear sisters, you know, working on the mission field, particularly in Nepal, where I've been very heavily involved, who've given me a lot and inspired me. One of the men I came to know at this time was Larry Randolph. Um, Larry Randolph, a, a prophet for, on the west coast of America. I was asked to host Larry Randolph, and my wife and I had him to stay. <laughs> and he just spent a great deal of time with me. He just gave me of his time. And when he went, we won't make too big a thing of this, but he left his coat. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then another man was Steiner Reiten. Uh, he's with the Lord now, a Norwegian prophet. These two brothers 
gave me the same word. Now note this, I do find, you all know, before we make a major move in life, anyway, this is for me, we get the voice of the prophet and then it's generally confirmed in the word or it can be the other way around. You receive the word of God and the prophet confirms. Prophet and word, word and prophet. Very, very important. Larry Randolph says this to me. He says, John, I want you to hear you are a voice, not an echo. When I go to Norway, Steiner Wrighton says to me, he says, I won't break out into his accent, but he said, there's something, you know, I wish you to hear. He says, you have a voice, use it. Don't behave like an echo. And I said, Steiner, I can't believe it. This very same thing that Larry Randolph gave me. And so he said to me, I believe it totally, because if we're in the spirit, we're hearing the same things. And the spirit confirms it. So another prophet that I got to know at this time, a man called George Klein. Uh, George became a very good friend. I, I wrote to him in November 1998, and I said, George, uh, I'm feeling a bit beaten up. Can I come out and stay with you for a while? Uh, he said, John, come. I said, I don't want to do anything. And he said, oh, you're coming? you'll come to church on Sunday? I said, oh, yeah, of course, I'm going to worship. So uh, we go to, to his church, met Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Sunday evening, he just stands up in front of the church and he says, we're going to do things totally differently tonight. He said, I've not prepared a word. We have a guest, we have a visitor from England, John Putman. John has a word for the church and then he is going to prophesy and give words of knowledge over the congregation. <laughs> Now, hallelujah. <laughs> but you see, God knows us. I respond very well in circumstances like that. Don't give me 48 hours notice. Because I will begin to echo what someone else might have said to me in Timbuktu. But put me on the spot. And I'm afraid the, the congregation kind of feared me. They think, oh, you know, now he does that to himself. He wants to do that to us. Okay, time's going very, very quickly. I, I just, you know, for your study, look at the relationship. As, as you look at the prophetic pastoral, look at the relationship with Paul and Timothy. You've got the dichotomy there of father, son, or whatever, but it's also, it's also prophetic pastoral. And I think if you're a prophetic pastor or whatever, you must be working to ensure that the prophecies over your people have room to be fulfilled. And that was what Paul's doing all the time with Timothy. He says, I see your tears, etc., etc. You know, and I want to, to reach fulfillment in this. And ever so quickly, we're not told specifically about or fully about the emotions of Paul. We know about the emotions of Jeremiah. We know about the emotions of Elisha. It's the prophet who reflects the feelings of God. And it does evolve emotion. Well, look, maybe you can detect a change in your ministry emphasis. Maybe you're sensing a different gift ministry at the moment. Maybe something you've laid down over these last two days. God is saying, pick it up again. Get going again. Some of you will go with fresh anointing into fresh fields of ministry. Others, God is saying, you know, pick it up again. You know, as a draw you know, to a close, let me just say this too. Another change I noticed through the prophetic in my pastoral ministry, as I began to grow in the prophetic, I began to do things differently. 
a couple who were at the center of our church. He led the young people. She was our worship leader. They had three wonderful children. They said to us, Rose, we just love you and Rose to come for a meal on Friday night. I'm standing, sitting outside their car, outside their house in the car, and I turned to Rose. This is a very nice way of telling us they're leaving. Rose says to me, you're kidding. I said, wait and see. Sure enough, coffee comes. And there's something we need to share with you. There's, you know that St. Barnabas Church, 100 yards down the road? It's dead. There's a group from St. Stephen's in Twickenham, lovely spirit-filled church, want to reopen it again. And we've been asked if we will go there to help them. Right! I'm sitting there. Wow, they've got different values. They're Anglican. You know, love them the bit. You know, but it's all very different. God says to me, I'm in this. Bless them. Now, I'm thinking as a pastor, this is going to hit the church real hard. They're not going to understand this. So you know what we did? Instead of letting them go with a prayer while they stood at the back of the church, I got hold of their hands like this. And I said to everybody, stand, and we, we're all, we all linked hands. And I hadn't planned it at all, but I just began to prophesy over this and say, you know what, church? We're to be a giving church. This isn't going to be one of our plants, but we're going to give to the kingdom of God and we're going to love one another, and we're going to do this as a family. And some people were in tears, but we did it. Eight years later, uh, I'd moved on by then, but they wrote to me to say, thank you so much for the sense of appointing uh, and anointing you gave us then. It made us feel free to return to our roots. And we've never forgotten the fact that we were part of you and that we went with the churches." appointing. Anyway, 2003, we're nearly there. <laughs> you know, I become itinerant then with, with some degree of prophetic ministry or whatever, traveling in different places. By this time, we're part of the church at Bury St. Edmunds. Norman approaches us to lead the church plant at Stowmarket. Rose and I were emphatically negative. And... Um, <laughs> And dear Keith Hazel, we go to Pakefield in 2010. I don't know whether you remember, but all the chairs would be putting away. Uh, I think it was the year that Terry spoke. Uh, and uh, Keith gets up. It's Sunday afternoon, about 1 o'clock. And he just says, remember the bones of Joseph. Joseph said, when you return to the promised land, take my bones with you. And you know, there are men here that have led churches in the past who think that they've come to a halt. Just take the bones with you. There's life in the bones. And the next thing, there's 12 people from Stowmarket all standing around us. And I thought, oh, surrender. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then I, 2014, the story just moves on. I just go and meet another prophetic friend in Costas in... Um, good place, isn't it? Prophetic. Anyway, go in Costas. I come through the door, and he says to me, you know God's moving you on. He's just bringing you into a season of release into the wider body. And I just feel God saying that he's already got somebody prepared for Stowmarket. We hadn't got a clue who that was. Trevor's here today. He was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And one comes into release. So what am I doing now by the grace of God? You know, I just seek to be a prophetic father figure, grandfather figure, wherever. Just to listen to pray and say, you know what? I think God might be saying this. And it's just a joy to be serving the Lord. I'm more excited in Jesus today than I ever have been. Final word. Make no mistake. 
when we are not moving in our gifting, the church stops moving in its fullness. Make no mistake, when you and I are not moving in our gifting, the church stops moving in its fullness. Amen? Let's have lunch together. Thank you.